Welcome to our second episode of Pete Chats Portugal. Our first one was on the establishing royal house of uh, Portugal, the House of Burgundy. Uh, but this one's going to be released to all listeners as part of our holy shit, Mr. DGMH got a sports injury by not playing any sports and he can't type the word Sweden, so he can't do his next great mind. Uh, so we're going to release some bonus content to try and stay uh, afloat in June. So welcome to Pete Chats Portugal, everyone. And uh, Cullen is here with me in our Chats saga. We've done a couple episodes of uh, Cullen Chats China tonight. We're doing our second round of Pete Chats Portugal. But this one's going to be available to all listeners. So we last left our House of Burgundy uh, with a pretty useless shit, Ferdinand uh, of Portugal. You don't get a lot of Ferdinands in Portugal because the first one wasn't that good. But he did sign a treaty that said that his daughter and her husband would come to rule Portugal after his lack of a male heir and his death. So her husband just so happened to be the King of Castile, which is the big problem here, meaning that the two crowns would in theory unify. Now, most people don't realize how many times things almost went the other way. That is to say, we know Portugal and Spain, Spain, Castile, and Aragon, all right, and all those kingdoms. But there were just as many times, and it was almost more likely at periods in history, that Castile was going to swing the other way. What's even more under, you know, not discussed is that it wasn't always Castile conquering Portugal. No, Isabella was actually fighting off Portugal, trying to claim by inheritance Castile. And they, by all means, had the ability to do it. We'll hear that Portugal has some military skills in the medieval period, uh, or at least good allies, uh, at the very least. But it's not discussed enough that Castile was kind of in the middle of Aragon and Portugal and by their own choice or by others' choices, almost went the other way, merging Portugal and Castile instead of the other way around. It would have been an interesting what-if history moment, but nobody really gives that any attention because nobody gives Portugal any attention. But would the language barrier have been a problem uniting the two? I mean, well, that would have been... No more than Castilian and Aragonese, I would say. Uh, Catlan and uh, Castilian yeah, yeah. Spanish. Uh, I, I, you know, Spanish, I think that... Yeah. The fact that Castilian Spanish emerged as the primary Spanish language would have been an issue. But, you know, my Spanish speaking friends do say they can they can get by in Portugal. So I think that it would have adapted in similar ways. Right. I, I don't know. It would have certainly been uh, a hiccup at the very least. But, you know, it mm-hmm. happened under the Iberian Union. So I, I guess you just kind of get by. But that's a totally different age. So we're in 1383, a civil war ish breaks out between John I of Castile, claiming Portugal through his wife, Beatrice. Uh, And the other claimant is our topic for today, Jao, the master of the Order of Aviz, who just so happens to be the illegitimate half-brother of the former king, Ferdinand of Portugal. That guy that I said was a pretty useless shit. So we've got kind of a civil war in the sense that one side is supporting the bastard child of the former king, and the other side, uh, or at least the Castilian side, is supporting equally loose claim through a, a female heir and a tree. So it's kind of up in the air. It's known as a a brief two-year interregnum. It's normally just called the crisis of 1383 to 1385. It's a really stupid fucking name, but that's Portuguese history for you. In all history, it's kind of always stupid names. But interestingly, all this is happening at the same time as the Hundred Years' War, or in the, in the midst of the Hundred Years' War, uh, almost smack dab in the middle. So Britain and France essentially find themselves supporting different sides in this conflict. Now, we don't normally think of like, oh, balance of power, everybody's getting involved in different alliances. It wasn't necessarily like that. But one side was supported by France. That is, Castile was supported by Aragon and French forces. And mm. through a treaty that Ferdinand actually signed during his reign, there was a sort of 
weak military alliance between Portugal and and England. It will be reaffirmed by a much more famous treaty, which I'm going to discuss in just a little bit. Uh, but that alliance did secure some help from, from the English in, in this impending civil war. And it came to a final head after two years of, of going either way at the Battle of, oh gosh, I never really figured this one out, Ajubaroda. Uh, Ahu Barota. I should have looked up the pronunciation, but it's A-L-J-U-B-A-R-R-O-T-A. Uh, but this is a pretty big battle because on August 14, 1385, Zhao I emerges victorious over his Castilian rival, John I, winning and seizing the Portuguese throne. A note- noteworthy point, though. The Portuguese under Zhao at this battle had just shy of 7,000 men at their command, going against more than 30,000 Castilian, French, and Aragonese forces. 30,000. All right. But knowing the land, having home field advantage, the Portuguese also had 200 English longbows. And anybody who knows their 100 years history knows the longbows are going to win just about every time. Plus, the machine gun of the ancient world. Yes. And they had about 800 crossbows and some help. So, of course, you you know, with less than a thousand casualties, Zhao of Aviz becomes the first of the House of Aviz. In this famous battle, four to five, four to five thousand Castilian forces perished. And in the retreat, Another 5,000 would die. A woman named Brits or Brites, I'd have to look up the Portuguese pronunciation of that, but Brits de Almedia, uh, who was a baker, actually uh, left her bakery to participate in the murdering of retreating soldiers, like it was like an activity. And when she came back, the story, the fable goes that seven soldiers were hiding out in her oven and she burned them alive. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Portugal history, Portuguese history's got peach at Portugal gets a little That's dark. Dark, yeah, but yeah, it's like Game of Thrones. Stuff. Yeah, it, it very much is. Uh, so I, I wanted to dig deeper into that, but Portuguese history just doesn't get the coverage of say English history. So well, these are juicy bits that, that they people are. don't know. And they are. Glad yes. you're bringing up. And I'm sorry that I don't have the pronunciation. I don't speak Portuguese. It's not my strongest point, and I don't have time to look up every single name. But it's uh, B R I T S Brites Brits uh, de Almeida, supposedly baked seven soldiers alive after participating in killing a bunch of other retreating ones. But moving on with Zhao the first, uh, his reign gets incredibly overshadowed by the greatness of one of his sons that we will certainly discuss at another point in our time together. That is, of course, Prince Henry the Navigator, who never really navigated much of anywhere. You know, so he is going to have a lot of children. But born in 1357, he began his reign as King of Portugal in 1385. And he is to this day, uh, or was throughout the entire monarchical past of Portugal, one of the longest reigning monarchs in Portugal. Portuguese history, ruling until his death in 1430, uh, 1433 at age 76. He ruled effectively for more than 48 years. That is a long time for any monarch, especially in the Middle Ages. Um, yeah, so during his reign... Died um, in their 40s. Yeah, I know. Seriously. So uh, during his reign, a major port city in North Africa, Sueta, was was conquered uh, by his son, Henry the Navigator, in 1415, jumpstarting this new age. Let's call it the Age of Discovery, which is, you know, going to bring us into all of the Portuguese exploration of Africa. It's also during Zhao the First reign that Madeira and Azores were added to his dominions, Madeira being added in uh, 1417 and the Azores archipelago being annexed in 1427. Now, these were largely, if not completely uninhabited islands, but the final piece that I want to talk about for today on Zhao I is in 1387, he cemented one of the oldest, actually the oldest surviving alliance that is still intact 
and utilized in the modern day in European history. That is, of course, in 1387 with his marriage to Philippa of Lancaster on Valentine's Day, 1387, the Anglo-Portuguese alliance was, was cemented permanently in the signing of the Treaty of Windsor. Uh, what's interesting is that this alliance is still active and has been since the treaty's signing in 1386. What's even more interesting to me is that this treaty was a different balance than most people expect, as the naval power was in the hands of the Portuguese. And what the British, the English, I should say, actually wanted was naval support from the Portuguese in return for military support from the English. So those longbowmen came at the price of, you know, long ships. Uh, so, but this Treaty of Windsor in 1386 reaffirmed that existing alliance that brought those troops to help Portugal in the first place. That was signed by Ferdinand, his predecessor and the house, uh, of the House of Burgundy in 1373. The alliance has been reaffirmed nearly 10 times, and the treaty has been cited several times, including in the Napoleonic Wars and World War II. Mm -hmm. So yes, so Zhao the First Reign, which began in war, was one of peace, economic expansion, and territorial growth, both by conquering new lands in Portugal and continuing the efforts of his previous house. What was the church's politics here? Usually we know that the Pope is a kingmaker and what way he swings can determine. And, and you know, obviously the longbowmen were a big factor winning the battle, but. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't know exactly when okay. the I was formally recognized by the papacy, if he even uh, had to be at all. You know, I, I, I think that maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, he's the king's son. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, the king's king. illegitimate son, but he rose up. He was the head of a uh, military religious order. So, I mean, you know, he is kind of seen as a devout figure, a, a powerful figure, and a Portuguese figure, you, you know, which is, is really uh, kind of kind of key. But the House of Aviz is now in full swing, and the House of Aviz will be the royal family and dynasty in Portuguese history until 1580, when our latest great mind, Philip II, conquered the territory. So a little connection to our most recent topic. But of course, there are a lot of other key points I could bring up, but I want to save them for another day because next time I want to discuss more about his wife, Philippa of Lancaster, and his famous children, so famous that they are often called the illustrious generation. And that includes Henry the Navigator. So I just wanted to introduce again our first king of the House of Aviz, who, you know, of course, focused on centralizing, centralizing his power. But Cullen, have you ever heard of Zhao the First before? I think uh, just in our talking, sometimes we have... If I could go back to John the First of Castile, his wife Beatrice. Yes. Um, yes. What was da it? daughter anything of in Ferdinand? The, daughter of Ferdinand. I was going to ask daughter, if there's anything yes. in the margins you uh, could shed on her, just a little uh, bit. Her. Not much my, on her. Too no, okay. not too peculiar. I just know that I actually studied her once in that paper I was telling you about in the last segment where I had to talk about uh, the, the the Portuguese dynasty. Ferdinand's marriage treaty uh, was the reason this whole civil war happened because there were multiple claimants to the throne, one being not Portuguese. But Beatrice was kind of just the classic marriage pawn in this, this story. So yes, Beatrice would be the daughter of Ferdinand of House Burgundy, the last of that dynasty. And what? That, that will kind of fade away. For me, what gets me is the fact that with 7,000 men and digging some ditches and being crafty on the battlefield, he was able to kind of manipulate the battlefield in a way that he just totally destroyed a number about more than three times his size. Yeah, a third a third of the yeah, force, yeah. yeah. A third of the forces, but the longbowmen were key. Uh, but he made some strategic decisions uh, kind of reorienting his army. And I'll post some images I came across even just from uh, Wikipedia and other sources about how this battle kind of played out and, and what it looks like. I mean, I'm no mm -hmm. military historian. I say that all the time, but... Even I was pretty interesting, interested by this this battle that cemented Jaws' reign. But yeah, the first king of the house of. And 
the the Azores, uh, you said that Henry the Navigator discovered those. Is that so? Right? Uh, the, you know, the, the, we'll, when we talk about Henry the Navigator, we'll talk yeah. about what that really means. I mean, he okay. he was at Sueta, part of that conquest, but then it's really his school of nautical exploration that that leads to these new areas being discovered. And you know, okay. I really want to break down. I'm not going to stick with the chronology for very long either, but I do want to go to Henry and some other key people in our next few episodes because you know everybody knows. Mm-hmm. I'll say one thing I want to cover in one of our next episodes. Everybody knows Henry the Navigator, Bartolome Diaz, and Vasco da Gama, but nobody knows Gil Ains. Nobody knows, exactly. Nobody knows Gil Ains. So we will talk about Explorer Gil Ains in one of our episodes. Now I'm interested. Um, But yes, during Jao's reign, he, he does bring in those Atlantic archipelagos into his dominions. You know, those will come up again because he's also going to start sending uh, some some explorations into the African coastline. I might be wrong, but it could be the Canary Islands or the Azores. One of those places they discover sugarcane. So, I mean, well, I don't know if they discover. So sugarcane was being grown primarily uh, in areas like Cyprus, I believe, by and areas of the Middle East by the Ottomans. But it is where they start growing it. In fact, it is the, the plantation yes. system and using slave labor yes. on the plantation system yes. is something born in the Azores and Madeira archipelagos. Yes, yes absolutely. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, I knew there was a connection to sugar and sugarcane production yep. on the islands. And then sure. that's why they go down to Africa, not to get ahead of ourselves, but the slave trade. Sure. Yep, uh, absolutely. And that's going to be after Jao's time. So yeah, we we would be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but yeah. Uh, Uh, Last thing would be, uh, you mentioned uh, Philippa. Uh, You're going to do a special uh, thing about her. Well, since I'm talking about Jao's children next, yeah, I do want to talk about Philippa of Lancaster and maybe bring in the house Lancaster a little bit next time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll save, we'll save her for next time, but any other thoughts, comments? No, that was interesting. Interesting that the Treaty of Windsor still stands. That's, that's still wild. stands. I, I know sometimes we point to a Franco-Scottish alliance, but that alliance doesn't hold the same weight, given that Scotland isn't an independent kingdom today. But but mm-hmm. Britain and England still are, and the Treaty of Windsor is still recognized by both parties. So, yeah, and that's a situation here. in politics where one can help the other. Like yes. you know, the yep. British needed uh, naval, yep. you know, naval the help and. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 was cemented with the marriage of Jao the first and Philippa, and it re-cemented uh, the alliance that was started by the previous king too. So, well, that's our second cool. round of Pete Chats Portugal, uh, listeners. This one was available to all of you, but if you want even more Pete Chats Portugal, uh, we'll be pumping out more and more of these this summer and continuing on. Uh, Cullen and I have our little chats series where we chat about China and Portuguese history, uh, Chinese and Portuguese history. Respectively, we're neither one of us are experts on, but one of us knows a lot about each. So, you, you know, I don't know. I mean, what I'm trying to say there is Cullen knows the China. I know the Portugal, but the middle ground is is, is a little hazy for us. So we're learning from each other. Um, but that's all for this episode. So listeners, thanks for listening and uh, cheers. Cheers.